Now I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. It's on page 912 of your pew Bibles, 94, and we'll read, uh, 912, and we'll read 423 through 31 as we continue our series in the book of Acts. Acts of the risen Lord Jesus, as it were. I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word as you, as you find that place in your Bibles. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hands to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Many a seasoned pastor has um, talked to me and shared his wisdom with me as, as a youngin, and told me what I need to know as I seek to shepherd God's people. And time and time again, these seasoned saints, these pastors who have labored for years and years have told me these words, don't underestimate the public prayer meeting. Don't underestimate it. Because they, they say there have been seasons in our ministry where we've done just that. And time and time again, God has proved that it's in the prayers of his people that he does powerful work. The building which we've inherited from a congregation before us that labored well in the Lord left us a reminder right up here. Given continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's a very good reminder. I I like that, that that's there. Uh, Because what they're saying to us is, friends, don't forget public prayer. Don't underestimate it. Don't downplay it. Don't neglect it. Because that's where God works. That's what he uses to accomplish his will. That's where he does ground-shaking things. We see that in our passage today. Um, In Acts chapter 4, you'll remember from last week what's happening in this scene. Uh, Peter and John have just been hauled before the Sanhedrin, and they have been 
um, interrogated, as it were, by uh, the elders there. And, and the, the, the temple guard of Israel has laid a hold of them and said, in whose name are you working miracles? And they, they boldly proclaimed with great courage, it's the name Jesus of Nazareth. And they said, okay, we're going to let that go. But don't say that name again. Stop healing people in that name of Jesus. You can go, you can heal people, you can do what you want, but stop saying that name. And that's the one thing they know they cannot stop doing. They must proclaim the name of Jesus. And we too must have the courage to talk about Jesus as as the great solution that God has put forth for sinners. The only way to write standing with him. Well, the apostles, Peter and John, returned to the assembly of the saints, which at this time was, um, was, was around three or 4,000 people. And, and, and they sit down with their group of, of friends and they tell them of the threats that the rulers have made to them. They say, they told us to stop healing and speaking the name of Jesus or our life is on the line. Now, how do they, how do they respond to those threats. What do they do? They prayed. They prayed. How do you respond, friends, to difficult times? To opposition? To disturbing headlines? In which, in which it feels like um, Christians are persecuted, and indeed they are being persecuted around the world, and even in our country. How do you respond when you, when you hear that your brothers and sisters are being shaken to their core? Do you pray? Because that's what the Lord shows us in, in this passage to do. He gives us this picture of bold prayer. It's like Hezekiah um, b- before the Lord. Do you remember back in, in the book of Isaiah when um, uh, Shennacherib, a king of Assyria threatened Hezekiah and said that he was going to come with all his armies and take down Jerusalem. And what did Hezekiah do? He took that letter. And the first thing he did is he went into the presence of the Lord and he laid that letter before the Lord and said, consider these threats, Lord. Consider what they're saying and act. Hezekiah's first impulse was to pray. And and, and the apostles are taking up that mantle of the king Hezekiah and they are doing that same thing. They're saying, before we do anything else, before, before we react to these threats, we must pray. Is that how we respond? By the end of this sermon, I I, I want more and more the impulse of your hearts to be as soon as you see those headlines, as soon as um, you hear someone on the playground uh, throwing, saying things to you about you being a Jesus follower. I want your first impulse to be, I need to pray and I need to get near the people of God who are continually together praying for these things. Notice that this is a together prayer. We've talked before about how when I was a kid, Uh, And I was in worship and we had the time for the congregational prayer. I used to tell my sister, this is the long prayer. Um, You know, it's, it's the long prayer. But I challenged us to not think of the congregational prayer as the long prayer, but to think of it as the together prayer, the prayer in which all of us are are, are coming together. And with one voice, someone who's representing the body is, is lifting up our petitions to the Lord. It's a wonderful thing. That's what we see here. 
I want us to see the convictions of this praying church as they challenge us. And then we're also going to see the petitions that actually come forward. It's not often that we see in the scriptures a prayer actually laid out word for word in front of us. But the apostles thought it was so important. God thought it was so important for us to know how to pray to him that he gave us the words in this instance, much like the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. So now let's prayerfully go before the Lord and, 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 and see what he has to teach us here. First, we see the convictions of a praying church. Notice that before they even get to the specific petitions, about half of this prayer is just a representative of these troubled Christians affirming what they believe about God. They're reciting back to God who he is. And one thing I want you to notice before I go much further is they grab a hold of the scriptures in order to do that. They're actually praying words of the scriptures. They're they're praying Psalm 2 in, in, in large sections of it. So this should be the first cue to us that if we want to pray like the apostles, if we want to pray like Hezekiah, then we need to have scripture deep in us. We need to know the scripture so well and be spending so much time in it that it's like second nature. When we, when we hear the threats, we just go straight to Psalm 2 and we start reciting it to the Lord. And then that leads us to spontaneous prayers of our own. No scripture. Scripture will teach you, it will give you the words to pray to the Lord. And notice, notice what they call God. They say, Sovereign Lord. It's a unique word here. It means master, master controller of the universe. You'd say, well, I'm used used to people praying our father who art in heaven. And of course, that's a perfectly fine way to pray. pray. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. But there are other things that we can call God that he teaches us in the scriptures. And one is this very title that comes to the recollection of this church in their time of need. And you're going to see this title is perfectly suited to the situation they're in and the kind of threats and pressures they're feeling. They say, master controller of the universe, sovereign Lord, hear us. And then their convictions just come spilling out. Convictions that point to God As the sovereign one who has complete control of all things. Master controller of the universe. Kings, king of all kings. What do they point to? They point to God's, a a deep conviction that God is sovereign over creation. Look at this here in in chapter 4. Verse 24, they say, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, you, you picture, what are, they, what are they thinking of? They're thinking of a God. They're convinced that they are praying to a God who actually controls the winds, who can speak to the waves of the sea and say, be still. The God who crafted and made all things, the beasts that walk in the forests of the earth, the forces of nature. Now, if you're praying to a God who can control, the, who can control all things, who even crafted and made all things, Right away, you know you're praying to the, to the kind of God who can act in times of trouble. Am I right? Sovereignty over creation. That's the first thing. That ground, that, I want you to see, this is like the, the bedrock of their prayer. Before they start lifting up specific petitions, they're showing us what their prayer is built upon. And it's, it's the kind of conviction that their God 
has control over everything. But then they go deeper than that. They pray and, and they show that they are convinced that their God is not, over, not only sovereign over creation, he's also sovereign over history and nations. That's what they're doing when, when they start to recite the words of Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. What are they saying? They're laying a hold of those passages of the Bible which relate to exactly what they're dealing with, right? What they, what they saw before them were rulers who had much power threatening them to not preach the name of Jesus, right? And in their recent memory, they also remembered that it was very similar for the Lord Jesus. For he stood before Herod and Pontius Pilate, great kings, powerful kings, who breathed out threats to him, threatened him to the point of death. And what they're doing is they are saying, Lord, We have every reason to expect that this is what the kings of the world will do because you told us that in Psalm 2. And by the way, we know from Psalm 2 that you're sovereign over them. That these kings who have great power, even to the point of death, are subject to your king, the Lord Jesus Christ, and your majestic throne. You know, it's the goal of this wicked world to separate God from the Christ. That's the goal of wickedness in this world. If you can only take God and separate him from the anointed one in Jesus, then then you can have a God who sustains all things, but, but who will basically do your bidding. But if God has sent forth the Lord Jesus Christ as the only way to him, then you have to bow your knee and say, Lord, you're in complete control and I'm not. So it's the desire of this wicked world to say, if if only we could get Jesus separate from God, and if only we could have a God that upholds the world apart from the Christ, then we could have the kind of control we want. And God says, no. He says, look at my anointed one. He's already sitting on his throne. That's the kind of sovereignty of God that they see, His, his, his majestic kingship over all things. And then look, they, they turn to one other thing, God's sovereignty, even over the actions of those wicked men. They say, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Here's the kicker. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. You know, it might look From the outside world, if you're looking on and seeing Jesus being crucified on a cross, it might look like if he's God's anointed, then God's plan just got derailed. If he's God's anointed, then something has come crashing down in his plan. And but the the early church is utterly convinced that that is not the case. Instead, they believe that all of this was part of God's plan. And the one who declares the end from the beginning, whose counsel cannot be thwarted, was even working through the wicked intentions and actions of men. And even while they're responsible for what they're doing, God's plan is being carried out to a T. Not a single thing out of place. That's how sovereign and powerful he is. You see, if these are the convictions of this church, 
They ought to be the convictions of the church today. Because what God is doing through this is he's comforting us, friends. Isn't isn't this comforting to know these things about God? That if you're going through a time of trouble and persecution, you can look to this God who's in control of all things. Because if there's any area in which God is not in control, that's an area in which we can't trust him. But he is in control of all things. His plan can't be thwarted. Even the wicked actions of men bend to his, his predestined purpose. And that means we can trust him in all things. There are no maverick molecules of the universe bouncing around out of control. God has all of it under control. And so we can trust him. You know, sometimes I've, I've talked with friends about, um, about the sovereignty of God, which of course is, is a contentious topic at times. We know this. Um, but they said, well, why do you, if you believe that God is sovereign, if you believe he's con- in control of all things, then Pastor Tyler, why do we pray? Doesn't, doesn't it just seem like the sovereignty of God snuffs out prayer? Like if he just has it all planned, why, why do we even pray? But notice what happens here in this prayer. The sovereignty of God actually fuels the fire of prayer. It doesn't snuff it out, it fuels it. Why? Because these early church believers can actually go to God praying to him, believing that he can accomplish the very things that they're praying, that he actually has control over it. It's not some, some hope flung up in the air, hoping that God happens to find a way to make it happen. They know he can. That's their rock-solid conviction. Is it yours? Is it yours this morning? I think the scriptures are inviting us to say that God not only ordains the ends of things, but because he's sovereign over all things, he also Uh, weaves into his plan the very means by which those things are accomplished. Your prayers. Isn't that something? That the God of the universe, the the master control of the universe, uses your prayers to accomplish his purpose. I don't get that, but it's true. It's true. And so with that fire of God's sovereignty fueling their prayers, the, the early church actually turns now to specific petitions. Um, you'll see it there in verse 29. They say, and now, right? They've spent almost, the, uh, almost half of the prayer um, just reciting who God is. That's good for us to know. We can do that in our prayer meetings. We, we can do that. Um, and we're invited to, to recite to God who he is from the scriptures. Um, but then there comes the point in verse 29 with all of that fueling their prayers. They say, and now we have specific petitions for you, God. And in this case, there's only one thing they pray for. Just one thing. Did you see what it was? Let's look at verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That's that's it. That's, That's their petition. Not vengeance to be brought down upon these rulers, which could certainly be prayed. Not not safety for God's people, which could certainly be prayed for. Not peace with the rulers, which elsewhere in the scriptures we're invited to pray for. But right here and right now, in the face of these threats, this apostolic band of followers is praying for boldness to speak the word. Now, why is that? It's because the gospel is the one and only thing the world really needs. It's the only thing that it ultimately needs. 
and they're gripped by that. And they hear the threats, and there's a lot of fear and, and concern bouncing around their minds, but they pray for courage to speak the gospel. A brother a few weeks ago sent me a quote that I've really come to love. It, it, it's, it's simply this, that courage is fear that has said its prayers. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. You know, you see things and, and they're scary. I'm not going to lie when I say that the headlines we see are scary. I'm not going to try to, to, to fool you about that. I'm not going to fool you when, when I tell you that the Bible realistically gives us the impression that proclaiming the gospel could in certain circumstances demand your life. I'm not going to promise you that that's not the case. I'm not going to promise you that embracing the gospel and walking according to the ways of the Lord isn't going to cause you suffering and, and even cost you dear friends and family members and, 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 and connection, the, the connection you knew to them. I'm not going to lie to you. Those things are scary and they are fearful. And if they freak you out, then, then they should. But the Bible tells us this, that we come to a God that is bigger than all of those fears. We pray to a very big and strong and powerful, control, uh, in control God. And we say our prayers to him. And he gives us courage. Courage to speak his word. Courage to speak the one and only thing that the world desperately needs. One way of salvation. It's through that great solution, Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we heard last week? Well, if that's the one petition, it's just this, this gripping desire in, in, in prayer that we would proclaim the gospel and that we would, we would embrace it and that we would speak it. Let me ask, are, are we praying for that as a church? Because if we aren't praying for it consistently and expectantly, then we shouldn't be surprised when when our times fall flat and fallow. We have to pray for God to act, to shake the world with his gospel. Challenge us to be praying more and more for these very things that these first believers prayed for. Praying for boldness, bold gospel witness. Praying for opportunities to speak to our neighbors. Now look at how God answers this request in verse 31. When they had prayed, the earth shook. Can you imagine? When, when, when they'd said, I mean, maybe it's, they said, amen. And then the, the building just rocks all around them in response to their prayer. What is, it, what is God saying? He's saying, I've heard you. I'm, I'm working. I'm acting. It's an earthquake tremor. God shakes the earth to show his people that he's going to shake the earth with the preaching of the gospel. He's going to turn the world upside down and he's going to do it. He's going to do it through their prayers and then he's going to answer their prayers and give them the kind of courage and boldness to speak. Do you, do you believe that God works through our prayers today to do that kind of thing? Do you believe 
that when we sit down on a Wednesday night for home group and we pray that God uses that instance of prayer to do earth shattering things. If you don't, then your view of God is too small. It's got to be expanded. I find very often that my view of God needs to be expanded and my view of prayer needs to be expanded. I'm, I'm calling us friends to a more expectant view of prayer that would lead to more persistence in it and an eagerness to be about that work. We have opportunities to pray. Not the long prayer, but the congregational prayer in our worship services. Isn't that what's happening? We're coming to God and we're saying, consider these threats, Lord, and now give us boldness. And we're, we're doing that unified as one people and that together prayer. And then we, we do it again on, on, on home groups on Wednesday night. Praise the Lord if even more opportunities sprout up. Given continually to prayer in the ministry of the Lord. Is that us? May it be us evermore. And may God do earth shattering, earthquake things through our prayers. May he turn the world upside down through the gospel, even as we pray for him to do that. Let's do that right now.